My name is Dan Hammer. I have the privilege of being the senior pastor here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, whether you're here for the first time or, the, or you've been here for a while or joining us in person or online, your family here and so excited for all that God is doing here and so excited. In fact, can't wait at the end of the service to share some very specific things as we launch into a new ministry year. Our new ministry year runs September through August. So we're going to have a family chat after the service, after the response song. So if you can hang out for about 15 minutes after that, we're going to sort of dive into what God is doing as we go into a new ministry year, some very exciting things, how he is working powerfully. Um, I would love to do that and share, share accordingly. Um, rhetorical question for, but serious question for all of us this morning. When was the last time that you were facing a situation or circumstance, and honestly, you had no idea what to do? It was stressful. You felt like maybe you exhausted all your resources. You had even gone to YouTube, and there wasn't a video for that, because like, right, well, how do you know what to do right now? I asked Siri, I go to YouTube, right? How many of us have graduated from YouTube University? Like, how do, how do I fix my plumbing? Well, let's go to YouTube, right? But while YouTube can teach you how to change a broken car part, it can't teach you how to deal with an absolutely crushed and despairing heart. And we're going to see David and the men of Israel, David's men, in that very position this morning. And while I don't know all the details and I don't even know all of you as we have some very new faces here this morning, I can look around this room right now and know the reality that there are some hearts, including my own, that are in places of difficulty and despair, uncertainty, worry, worn out. That's David from this text today. David gets you and he sees you and we're going to see how David responds today. Perhaps you're walking through a situation where you don't know what to do. That's all of us, honestly, in some ways, and some of us in very specific ways. Your soul is heavy. Your heart is broken. Your heart, you're, you're, you're grieving. The grief is overwhelming, and maybe you just feel empty, like hope is gone. You don't know what else to do or where else to turn. Well, today we're going to see from the text of God's word exactly where we can turn to a God who is always there, even when it doesn't seem like it, to a God who is always strengthening, a God who is always answering, a God who is always providing, a God who is always restoring, and a God who is always preserving. We're going to see those five things from this text today. And that very reality that, that we saw God show up in David's life some couple thousand years ago, that same God is here for you and I today. So even if your hearts feel helpless, you are not hopeless. Because here's the reality, here's the big idea, you'll see it on the screen, you'll see it in your notes, this. That when I don't know what else to do, I can always trust God to see me through. It's okay to not know what else to do, and actually it's a very good position to be in to actually admit to the reality that I don't know what to do. Sometimes we get in our greatest trouble, don't we, when we are convinced that we do know what to do. And later we realize we had no idea what we were doing, do we? So in the crisis in your life, at the crossroads with which you are facing today, I pray that you would walk out of here with more confidence, with more courage, as we see the character of God. David himself gives us a preview of what is to come when he wrote in Psalm 37.5. He said this, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. What do I do when I don't know what to do? Short version thesis statement, commit my way to the Lord. Trust in the Lord and watch God act. And God might not act in the way that I want. 
He will act in the way that he wants, and his way is always best for me, amen? Even when it's hard for me to see. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you would lead us this morning. I pray that you would guide us. We need you desperately. I need you. I pray that you would silence my words and that you would flow. I pray for all the different hearts that are in the room watching online. We'll hear this later at some other time. And God, in our heaviness, I pray that you would provide your steadfastness. That your hope would reign as your character remains. Remind us afresh of the power of the gospel, of the power of yourself. And silence us, God. God, help us to focus our eyes on you in the middle of the storm. Show us what to do, God. Meet us in our grief. Carry us through the crisis. Encourage us, exhort us, and compel us, Holy Spirit, as you promised to do in your word. Holy Spirit, lead us now and guide us. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. I pray that you would experience breakthrough today, and I believe that you can, and I hope that you will through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through anything I would say, but through the power of God's word and through the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 30. We love to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter here at Harvest. And we're, we've gone all the way through spring and summer through 1 Samuel. Pastor Andrew's gonna bring us home next week as he looks at 1 Samuel 31. But we're gonna look at 1 Samuel 30 today. And so this is the word of the God, the word of, the word of God, the first six verses of 1 Samuel chapter 30. It says this, Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but they carried them off and went their way. And David and his men came to the city. They found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters were taken captive. And then David and his, the people who were with him raised their voices and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive at Ahinam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in their soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, if you remember from last week, or maybe if you're just joining us for the first time this week, welcome, so glad you're here. But we know that David is on a seven-year journey from running from Saul. God has anointed David to be the next king, but we don't have a timeline for that, neither does David. David last week got to the end of himself in some ways and says, I'm tired of running from Saul here in Israel. I'm going to go to the enemy territory, the Philistines, and he, he left. And he lived in a year for 16 months there, he lived a life of sin. He was running from the promises of God. He was lying to the king of, 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 of the Philistines there to preserve himself, to paint himself in a better picture. He was making raids on people and then lying about it to self-promote himself. He was running from God. He was living in sin for a year and four months. But yet God never ran from David. While he was with the Philistines, the, the king of the Philistines of Gath gave him a property in Ziklag. For David and his 600 men and all of their families. David left that property to go fight with the Philistines on what will be Saul's death battle next more next week. David got turned away from fighting and it's disappointing. He and his men then journeyed back to Ziklag to find what we just read. To find that while they were gone, the Amalekites, some of the people that David had spent his time raiding, had came and raided David's town taken every single woman and child captive, burned the city to the ground. 
we find David and his men broken, shattered. They had no idea where their families had gone, their wives and their children. They had no idea if their wives and their children were even alive. They stood in the fiery ashes of what once was their life and felt the absence of who used to be in their life. And maybe you're feeling some of those same feelings this morning. They probably felt a very heavy guilt. If I wasn't here, this wouldn't have happened. They went off to fight and left their family at home. And so many of you serve our country and deploy and bow. Thank you for your service. and sac- I can only imagine that this is your worst nightmare. So you can probably relate in some way to what David might be feeling. While I'm off fighting for my country, a tragedy happens at home. And that guilt and that shame, if only I was there, I failed as a husband, I didn't protect my family, is weighing them down completely. And their response is they wept and they wailed until they had no more strength to do it. They cried until their tear ducts were empty. Just imagine the sound of warriors, grown men, wailing, snot flying, bodies flailing, weeping until out of pure exhaustion, they just collapsed. That's this. And maybe you are walking through something similar today. And if that wasn't enough for David, leadership is not for the faint of heart. He had his own personal grief, but then he had to carry the grief of those men that he led who in their own bitterness because of the absence of their wife and kids took the action to turn on David and wanted to stone him. His own men. And David was greatly distressed, the text says in verse 6. He felt despair. I've never been through this situation personally by the grace of God to have my wife and children kidnapped. But there have been a time or two in my life where I have found myself in a position of weeping till I could weep no more, of just being broken for various reasons. Personally, you're walking with people that I love dearly through very difficult situations. Crushed and broken, overwhelmed, literally a fetal position, and and I don't know what to do such pain, such grief, uh, such a feeling of helplessness. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're carrying a deep wound from a friend that is just crippling. Maybe it's a work situation or a weight that is just shattering. Maybe it's a broken marriage. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a financial burden or maybe you're leading a company and you're watching it go down and you feel the tailspin and you, can't, and you feel the weight of the people that you lead and the families that you are entrusted to care for. Or maybe you've been in combat and had someone pass away while you were there. Maybe you're walking through a variety of things, an extended season of waiting or longing, 
and you're just at the end of yourself and you don't know what to do, that's David. That's the men. And often in our pain, it leads to lashing out. That's David's men. Out of their bitterness, their flesh acted. So what do we do when we don't know what else to do? We're going to look at five steps to take of when we don't, what to do when we don't know what else to do. The first is this, when I don't know what else to do, find my strength in God. I can't find it in the situation. I might have been anchored in my family and that's gone for the moment. I might have been, I just might have built a new house and man, that just got burned down. I can't place it in a thing or a person because what happens when that gets taken away from me? I have to find my strength in God. And that's what we see David do in verse six. And David was greatly depressed, not only for the personal tragedy, but because the people, his own people, were talking of stoning him. And because they were bitter in their soul and the weight of the bitterness crushed David. But David chose to strengthen himself in the Lord, his God. For 16 months, he had been wandering from this God. He had just gotten turned away by the grace of God. We talked about that last week. If you want more info on that, listen last week. He had been running from God for a year and a half, but God never left him. And in his moment of crisis, even as David had ran away from God, he turned back to God and was met by God in that instant. Praise God for his grace, amen? So if you've been wandering for God for a year, for 10 years, for an entire life, it is not too late to turn to God right now and experience the grace and the mercy and the hope and the strength that you desperately, desperately need. That's what David is doing right here. And he found God. He found his strength to continue. It didn't mean the situation was miraculously just healed, like his, the, the ashes were still hot, the house was gone, his wife and kids were who knows where, in what danger, and in what condition. The men were still bitter. But David, in the midst of those circumstances, was able to find the strength that his heart needed in the one true God who never, ever left him, even when David left obeying God. Praise God, amen. And that same God is here for you today. David, the word greatly distressed, the word for distress there in the Hebrew it talks about this image of a potter molding clay. A potter pressing into clay to make it into an image, make it into the vessel of the potter's mind. And it takes pressure. It takes other things to form this clay into a vessel, into a cup. We have a God whose scripture teaches us in Isaiah 64, 8. It says this, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and your you are our potter for we are all the work of your hand. We have a God who allows and or uses the situations of our life to mold us, to sanctify us into the vessel that he wants us to be. And sometimes, loved ones, and hear me, and hear my heart, if, if you know me, I think you, hopefully you know this. If you haven't met me, if you don't really know me, I hope we come to know this. I love you. If I just met you 30 minutes ago, I love you. If I've known you for 30 years, I love you. And so I say this out of a heart of deep love for you, that sometimes 
God allows or ordains extraordinarily difficult situations in our life to do the best thing in our life to reveal to us that he is what we need. That through the fire, through the pain, we, he strips us away of the dependency on the world or other things to reveal the reality of his sufficiency to get our detention, to bring us back in a state of brokenness and say, God, you are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me into you what you want. I'm sorry for resisting you. I'm sorry for running from you. And he allows and or uses the situation to bring us back to him. Friends, whatever you're walking through this morning, don't waste your pain. Don't waste the trial. Like David Turn to God for your strength. Every single situation in your life bows to the sovereignty of God who reigns totally and supremely control over every aspect of your life. We have this treasure, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, and if you need hope for your heart, read the book of 2 Corinthians. He says in 2 Corinthians 4 that we have this treasure, the gospel, in jars of clay. Again, this, this, this metaphor continues all throughout Scripture to show us the surpassing power belongs to God, right? That's 2 Corinthians 4. Read that passage. 2 Corinthians 1 talks about the reality that God meets us in our crisis to care for us with compassion. 2 Corinthians 10 teaches us that we can take captive every thought that tries to run through our heads like it's running through the men here. And 2 Corinthians 12 teaches us the reality that when we are weak, God is strong. So we praise God for our trials because then we get to feel and experience the full sufficiency of God's grace. 2 Corinthians is an amazing book. Don't waste your trial. Ask God today, what are you trying to teach me? Is there something I need to repent of? Is there a lesson I need to learn? Help me to see you afresh. Renew my heart. Show me where I have not been dependent on you and help me to walk and trust for your deliverance. That's what David's doing. What is your heart level response to brokenness in your life today? We see in this text two different responses. One, brokenness leads David's men to bitterness. And in their bitterness, they lash out and they want to do something crazy. They want to stone David. Will stoning David help them at all? No, but how many of us, when we're bitter, we want to do crazy stuff and or do crazy stuff? I do. So are you allowing the brokenness in your life to make your heart bitter today? Or are you allowing the brokenness in your life to make your life better today by turning to Jesus? Are you bitter or are you better? The choice is yours. By turning to God, which is what David does. And out of his heart, David turns and after a year and a half comes back to a life in a heart of dependence. When you're at the end of yourself, who are you trusting? Who are you turning to? Who is it or nor what is the source of your strength? As we will find in the crisis, our strength is not in having all the answers ourselves, but it's turning to and trusting the one who has all the answers himself and is actually the answer. So friends, where in your life have you experienced grief, deep pain, and where do you need to resist the temptation to allow your heart to become bitter? Bitterness towards others, like David's men, towards David. 
the number one antidote to bitterness towards others is forgiveness. David's men are probably upset at David. They're taking it out on David. It's not really David's fault. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But they're upset. They're torn up. Their families are gone too. David, why did you take us to fight? If you hadn't, we would have been here. They needed a direction for their bitterness and their anger. As opposed to going to God and going, God, help, they lashed out. Are you doing that with a loved one around you that you need to forgive today? Or maybe you're just bitter and wrestling with the guilt and the shame of decisions you make and you need to allow God to forgive you. He, by the way, he already has. Just ask him. And maybe you need to forgive you. When I don't know what else to do, I can always trust God to see me through the next step. Second step when we don't know what to do is to get my answers from God. To get my answers from God. Not social media, not a horoscope, not your favorite local or cable news channel. Not from the latest and greatest cultural or secular leadership book, but God. And God's word, the greatest leadership book of all time. David in verses 7 and 8, look at the text. And David said to Abithiar, the priest, the son of Elimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this band, and shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake, and shall surely rescue. David, in the strength of God, then turned to seek answers from God. He didn't just go, I'm going after them, like some movie that you might watch, right? He goes, God, should I pursue them? He asked God for his answers. He sought in the middle of the trial. He didn't just act in his flesh. He got on his knees. He asked the God of the universe what he should do. And he did this amazing thing. He, he called for the priest, Abiathar. If you remember, and you probably don't, maybe you do. I don't, if you do, gold star for you, right? A couple weeks ago, Abiathar was the one priest that David rescued that sought refuge after Saul slaughtered all the other priests. He came to David's camp, and David said, I will protect you and watch over you. And he became the high priest for David. And in this time, remember, in the Old Testament, they were interceding with God through a priest or a prophet. You didn't have direct access to God. And so David got Abiathar, and he got this thing called an ephod. You might, what's an ephod? That's a funny name. Well, we, I think we've talked a little bit about this along our journey through 1 Samuel. If you don't remember, you'll see a picture of it behind me. The ephod was a priestly garment that they had to wear in order to be able to interact with God in the holiness of God. And then you can look it up. You can read all the intricacies and go and see how it was formed. But David, God in Exodus had very specific details about what should go where. Long story short, the ephod was a, a tool that signified God's love for his people. It had emblazoned on it in different stones and regalia the names of the tribes of Israel. God never forgets your name. He knows your name. He knows what you're going through. It also signified the reality of our depravity of our sinfulness and our need for God's sufficiency and the sufficiency of his forgiveness, the sufficiency of his grace, the sufficiency of a sacrifice that covers over the cost and pays for the cost of all of our sins. It points us to the gospel. It points us to God. And so through this ephod, as the priest was wearing it, David inquired, he asked and said, shall I pursue? Shall I overtake? In your distress right now, are you asking God what you should do or are you just determining yourself what you should do? what feels right, what seems like, what the world is telling you to do, what, what Oprah might tell you to do, or Dr. Phil, or whoever you listen to, whatever podcast you're listening to, whatever social media account you're following. 
Or are you going to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and going, God, what should I do? We know through the reality of, of God's text in Jeremiah 29 that when God hears us, when we seek God, and we will find God when we seek God with all of our heart. So it goes back to our thesis statement. Are you committing your heart to the Lord? Or are you trusting in the Lord with all your heart? You're committing your ways, trusting in the Lord, and then he will act. Are you seeking him with all of your heart today? Are you looking to get your answers from God or somewhere else? This is a simple yet profound question from David. And in your brokenness right now, are you seeking the deliverance that can only come from God? And then are you listening after you seek him? Or are you just checking a box to, God, I'm going to find some random verse in the Bible to confirm what I already want to do. That is not seeking God. That's you being God. Are you going to God with an open heart and open hands going, God, I'm willing to do whatever. Show me your ways. And then are you obeying? Are you following? There's another story in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 20, a king, Jehoshaphat, was surrounded and he, he, in front of all of his people in a heart of humility. It takes humility to realize the reality that I don't know everything, right? Our world frowns upon Lack of knowledge. I don't know. I'll get help. No, we, have, we feel like we have to force any answers. But reality is we don't have all the answers. God does. Jehoshaphat, when he's surrounded by an enemy, leads the entire nation, get on their knees and fast and say, I don't know what to do, but God, my eyes are on you, friends, today. May that be the cry of all of our hearts. Show us and lead us. And what I love about David is that through, he sees through the raw emotion of other people and he sees the real people. David didn't get ticked at his men. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. We don't see it in the text. But they wanted to stone him, but David still, on behalf of them, went to the Lord in prayer. He loved them, even though they were lashing out at him. Maybe your coworkers, maybe those that you work with, maybe those in your neighborhood are lashing out at you. Do you see the reality that they're lashing out as a fruit of a heart that is hurting? David didn't turn on his 600 men, even after they turned on him. He didn't throw them under the bus. He went to the Lord on behalf of all of them and said, God, what can we do? Are you going to your, on your knees to the Lord on behalf of the neighbors that hurt you, the coworkers that betray you, the family member that walks out on you? Are you asking God what to do? In David's brokenness, look at what he does. He leads authentically. He, he was distressed along with his men. He didn't have to have this posture. I have it all together. I have all the answers. He cried his eyes out too. Leaders, and I will say this directly, men, we have to grow in authenticity and vulnerability. We have to let others in. We're all wired differently. It doesn't mean you're, you're snot flying, crying all the time, but you have to, it's okay to go, I'm hurting and I need help. And I don't know what to do, but let me lead you vertically now to the one who knows what to do, God. I'm not going to try and do it myself. I'm not going to try. Come on, guys, let's pray. Get the, get the guys together. Get the ladies together. Let's get our small group together. I don't know what to do, but let's get on our knees, not later, but now. Not, not, let's not pray next week, but let's pray now, which is why I pray that you will come on Tuesday night. We need to pray now as a church. Now. And later, but now. As leaders in the crisis, as, as disciples, be authentic. 
lead authentically, point vertically, pray fervently, and then obey faithfully. That's what David does. Because the third step when we don't know what to do is this, is follow the leading of God. So David pray, and look what happens when David prayed in verse 9. Or in verse 8, the latter half of verse 8, God actually answered him, right? Some of you might be shocked when God answers you, right? But he says, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So the third step is follow the leading of the Lord. What promises, right? Now, he says, God says pursue. Does he tell him to go north, south, east, or west? Does he tell him where the Amalekites are? No. He just says go after him. How many of us is like, God, come on. I know you told me to reach my neighbors, but I don't have direction. God, I told you, to tell, I know you told me to go on mission, but I don't know what direction to go. But, so I'm just not going to go. But look at the promise. Step out in faith and you will rescue. God will rescue you. I will allow you. You will overtake them and you will rescue them. How many of us allow the lack of details that we have in our life from God to stop us from actually following God? Because we want to know the details. What's really happening is you want to be in control and you're struggling to surrender. Where is God calling you to follow his lead that you haven't yet? In our ongoing journey of living lives that are continually stepping out in faith for God, having information from God must be followed by faithful obedience to God. Look at what David does in verse 9. So David set out. He didn't wait for God to give him a GPS location. He just started to obey. Just like Abram said, go, okay, I'll go. He set out. And the 600 men who were with him, they went with him. So David, because of his authenticity, because he led vertically, he now had changed the disposition of his men who wanted to stone him. And now we're back following him on mission for the Lord. The impact of one person who seeks the Lord and prays for the Lord cannot be under or overstated. One person, David, put his foot in the ground and said, I'm praying, and God started moving. And maybe that's you at your workplace. Maybe that's you in your family. Maybe that's you in your nuclear home. God brought you to a relationship, and you're like, my spouse isn't there, my kids aren't there. Keep praying, keep obeying, keep being faithful. The disobedience of those around you does not negate your personal responsibility for obedience to God. To follow the leading of God wherever he goes. He didn't wait to obey. David obeyed now. Where do you need to obey now? And they, look, obedience is costly. It's exhausting. Verse 10, David pursued and he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross. They were riding and riding and 200, one third of David's men, he had 600, were too exhausted to go on. On your journey to follow the Lord, sometimes some people get too tired, but God says, keep going. It would have been easy for David to go, hold on, the Amalekites have a lot of people. I'm down one third of my army. I mean, if you're running army operations, military ops, you lose a third of your forces. Are you going to continue on against an unknown force? Maybe, maybe not. But David kept on. He said, it's okay. Here's the reality. Some people have different roles and responsibilities. I'm going to trust God to deliver us. I'm going to continue to obey even when my numbers get reduced. Even when other people get too tired to continue to obey. God's called me to it. I need to press on through it. Where in your life do you need to continue to look? Obedience has a cost. You might get tired physically. You might get exhausted. Okay, different roles, different seasons. Some of us in this church right now have a season where we just need to rest and recover. Okay. Yes. That is an important part of being on mission. Some of us, our season is like, come on, let's go. But we're all in this together. 
You see, and we're going to see that throughout this text. So they continued to go, and look what happens in verse 11. They found an Egyptian. Sounds like a random guy, but there's no random occurrences in the, in the economy of God, are there? In the open country, and they brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate, and they gave him water to drink, and they gave him a piece of cake and figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. What's really important here about this text, what really struck me is they're on mission. They're like, I need to go find my wife and kids, right? How many of us are like, let's go, right? I, I would be. But they stopped what they were doing and they took care of a stranger. They didn't say, no, I got more important things to do. They saw the Egyptian, a foreigner, through the eyes of God. And before they knew if he could help them or not, they cared for him. They loved him. Praise God. Amen. May we do the same in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in this church. We may not be so activity-minded that we actually miss out on the mission. The mission is people. And every person matters. From every country, every nationality, every gender, created in the image of God, and matters to God, and matters to us. They fed him, they clothed him, they helped him. And then David said to him, to whom do you belong? And he goes, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. My master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. (laughs) Watch God work. He probably didn't enjoy getting left behind, did he? He probably didn't enjoy being sick, did he? But because of those things, God is going to use him to accomplish divine purposes. He didn't know it in the moment, but three days later, God moved powerfully. We had made a raid, and he goes on and on, and basically David says in the text, hey, you know where they're at? He's like, yep. Will you take me to your leader? Yep. Through verse 15. Trusting in God is not inaction, but it's surrendered faithfulness. David chose to act. And look at what God, he, he, God worked in amazing ways. God provided a personal tour guide, a personal mission that David didn't know he would find. And David didn't even know when he began to take care of this guy that he would lead them right to the enemy. But God, God worked. And God's working in conventional and unconventional ways in your life too. I asked someone recently who took a big step of faith. How do you know? How do you know what you're doing if you're actually stepping out in faith for God or if you're just being crazy, right? Anybody ask you that recently? And their response was, well, is what I'm doing in alignment with the word of God? Has it been confirmed by the Holy Spirit of God? And am I experiencing peace that comes from God? When God checks all those boxes, I go. Locally, regionally, globally, where I stay. What's your next step of faith? How do I know? How do I find breakthrough in the brokenness? I follow God. David set out. Where do you need to set out? What's your next step? What's your next step? Here's a breakthrough in the brokenness. Here's two scriptures that really help us and encourage us and guide us in this. The first is, I trust the Lord with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You might have heard this before. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Friends, are you trusting in the Lord this morning as you follow the Lord, as you seek to follow him? Are you leaning on your own understanding or God's word? In all your ways, acknowledge him. The easy, and when it's, when it's a sunny day and when it's a rainy day, when you're in a mountaintop and a valley, are you acknowledging, praising, worshiping God? And he will then make your path straight. And then the psalmist in Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And that, again, that's just God's going to give you the lamp and the light for the next step. And then the next step, he didn't give David all the GPS directions. He just said, go. He might not give you all of them either. He just said, go. And along the way, he will provide in ways that bring him glory. Where do you need to take a next step of faith today? 
When I don't know what else to do, I can always trust God to see me through. Are you beginning to see God see David through this trial, through this tragedy, through this distress? You see David's heart begin to change as he chooses to obey, as he chooses to trust. You too. Fourth step, and when I don't know what to do, is this. Experience restoration through God. Experience restoration through God. David gets to the camp of the Amalekites in verse 16. When he had taken them down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Verse 17, and David struck them down until twilight, from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great or sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back everything. David also captured all the flocks and herds and peoples and livestock before him, and he said, this is David, and the people before him said, this is David's spoil. The Amalekites are celebrating, and then David begins to annihilate. We know that he was outnumbered because there was 400 men that escaped. David only had 400 men that were with him. I don't know how many he killed that day, but it was a lot. Sometimes you look at your situation, and you feel outgunned and outnumbered and outmanned, and by, God, by the world's definition, you are. But when God is with you, who can be against you? Amen? God can provide you any amount of money, any amount of people, any amount of door opening, as you obediently, he might shut the doors in his providence. He might not answer the prayer in his providence. And that's really hard. But are you trusting him? But look at what happens. Verse 18 and 19, David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. David, God restored David. Verse 19, nothing was missing. Nothing small or great. God is in the details, big and small. Sons or daughters, livestock, nothing. And this is God's grace and mercy. God gives us through the gospel things that we don't deserve. Remember when David made raids last chapter, last week? Chapter 27, if you want to read it on your own later. David, because he was living in sin, he wanted to cover his sin, left no man or no woman alive, no Amalekite man or no Amalekite woman alive to go and tell the king that he was actually raiding enemies of the Philistines as opposed to the Judah. And here, the Amalekites did not touch any member of David's family or any of the men's family. That's God's mercy. They did not repay David for what David did to him. God in his grace does not repay us in the same way for how we have acted to him. He gives us a mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve in grace. He gives us something we don't deserve. He takes away the cost of our sin and he puts it on his son, Jesus Christ, who pays the price for our sin and through the blood of Jesus restores us back to restoration relationship with himself. I love how Paul puts it in Colossians. He says in Colossians 1, 21 and 22, and you who once were alienated, this is restoration, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to preserve you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is a matter of the heart. This text does not mean every time you pray, Every time you go through a difficult situation, your family will be spared and the illness will be taken away. That's really hard, isn't it? Sometimes people die and that's really hard. It doesn't always mean that your business will be saved or that you'll get the next job or or that the job will go well or that there will be perfect reconciliation between you and a friend that has hurt you or you and a friend that you've hurt but it does mean that there is internal heart level restoration between you and God that is always possible in every season, in every circumstance. 
as we turn to God and we allow God to cover our sin as we repent to him and put our hope and surrender to him. We see David doing that throughout this entire process of beginning to trust in the Lord, turn to God, committing himself to him. And will you do that today? To experience the restoration that ultimately matters as you have an eternal viewpoint. It's a battle for your heart. Will you give your heart to God? The fifth and final step when we don't know what to do is this. To live generously as a testimony to God. We see in verse 20 that the spoil that the Amalekites had, that the people goes, this is David's spoil, meaning it's David's responsibility to distribute it amongst the people. Verse 21 says, then David came to the 200 men. Remember, David left 200 men behind and 400 men fought who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook, Bezer. And they went out to meet David and met the people who were with him. So now you have the 600 men back together. And when David came to them, to the people, he greeted them. And in verse 22, then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David, look, there's some amongst every crowd. Hopefully not here, right? But wicked and worthless people God's words, not mine, are everywhere. And they said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. You can have your wife and your kids back, but you're not getting the livestock. You're not getting any financial benefit. You're not getting a share because you didn't fight. You got tired. Somehow we're better than you. Verse 23, that's not the gospel, guys. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. Remember, it is not ours anyway. It is God's. We are stewards, not owners. He has preserved us and has given into our hand the hand that came against us. God did this, not you. And whether you're watching the baggage, I love this. Who would listen to you in this matter? He's like, it's not up to you. For as his share, who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward. And it goes on in the latter part of the chapter to say that David even shared some of the spoils with some other people throughout Judah. But I love that. Whether you were watching the baggage or whether you were down in the battle, it's an equal share because God loves you the same. Whatever your role is, different roles equal equal. Necessity, equal responsibility, equal value, ultimately. In the church, in life, we're called to share because God sees every single person as the same. That God preserves, I love that word, God preserves. It means to keep. That when David, when you were wandering, I preserved you, David. I kept you, I fought for you. I loved you and I lavished my mercy and my grace and I'm restoring you. And I'm restoring all 600 of these people and all of their families. And he wants to do the exact same with you today. So in the crisis, on either side of it, before, in the middle of it, or after, what's our response to the gospel? Wants to bear witness to the gospel and to, to live it out. The gospel is generous, right? God gave all. Are you giving your all to God? As a living testimony to others, because this is what the Lord has given, 23. We are to live as stewards, not owners. Well, they don't deserve it. So I won't give it. Anybody here not tithing because you view someone doesn't deserve it? Read the text. Anyone withholding grace or mercy or forgiveness because in your mind they don't deserve it? 
read the text. More than that, see God's heart. That our generosity is not, is not contingent, meant to be contingent on the actions of others, but our generosity is meant to be a worshipful response to the actions of our God and the character of our God. As we live a life and give to others what they may or may not deserve out of a heart that reflects a God who gave us mercy when we definitely did not deserve it, amen? And gave us grace and gave generous. How much? God gave all. David's like, come on, everybody's getting a share. So this morning, remember the reality that yes, depravity is real, but so is the victory that we have in Jesus. When you don't know what to do, remember as we just saw in this text, that the same God who is faithful and strengthens, we saw that the first point, that he answers, that he provides, God provided an answer to David, he provided an Egyptian to lead him the way, he provided encouragement when David's heart needed, yes, you will catch them, overtake them, and have the victory. So David kept going. That same encouragement, maybe you need encouragement today to keep going, is available from God today. The God that restores and the God that preserves. That same God, those attributes are are true, the same God today as you walk through your difficult situation of the God that led David through his difficult situation. When you don't know what else to do, Turn to the God who will always, always, always see you through. My Amy's going to continue to pray. Would you bow your heads with me right now? For the next 30 seconds or so, I want to ask you two questions. It goes back to our thesis statement, thesis verse. Commit your ways to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. What? heart level situation in your life that you're walking through, do you need to commit to the Lord right now? Where do you need to ask for his strength? Where do you need to ask him for what to do? Where do you need to follow his obedience? Where do you need to seek restoration? And where do you need to be generous? And where do you need to trust in him? So where do you need to commit your ways and where do you need to trust? He won't fail you. He will act. He will guide you. He will lead you. But maybe there's something in your life. Maybe you've been wandering like David for a year and a half. Maybe today you need to come back. And maybe you need to seem to lay it down and let trust God. Maybe you need to ask God what to do and then actually have the faithfulness to follow through, however easy or how hard it is, knowing that you're not alone. There's a biblical community here that loves you. And just like David stood in the gap when his men were bitter, we will stand in the gap together for you and with you from a God that has already covered that gap completely through the Son, Jesus Christ. But just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, and maybe this is a time where you commit your heart. Maybe you choose to trust, name the situation, and ask God what you should do, and then choose to step out in faith and act. Let's go to the Lord right now. Father, strip us of our pride that so often we feel like we need to have the appearance that we know what we're doing when in reality we have no idea what to do. But turn our hearts to seek your word. Turn our hearts to seek your face. And God, show us what to do. Show us your glory again and afresh. 
forgive us for the times that we have wandered from you. But in this moment, God, we drop our anchor in the ground and we turn to you in our health crisis, in our financial need, in our grief, in our hurting relationships, in our past pain, and go, God, help! We drop anchor that you are the same God. We drop anchor that you are the God that loves your people, that you made a way when there was no way. You are the same God who restores and renews and refreshes. And do that again right now, God, and help us to respond with hearts of generosity, hearts of obedience, hearts of faithfulness, God. That love and care for others around us when we don't even know if they can help us. But what a privilege we have in front of us to display the power of the gospel that you have so freely given to us. Help us to be your ambassadors with our hands and our feet, with every resource that we have. Use it for your glory today. Heal our hearts, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.